Welcome to episode 174 of the Left Behind Game Club. This week, we start our part one of a two-part Final Fantasy 16 series. Let's get right into it. You're listening to the Left Behind Game Club. Welcome to the Left Behind Game Club, our never-ending attempt to make sure that no game is left behind. I'm your host, Jacob McCourt, and today I have three friends with me. The first friend, you know her, you love her. Her name is Katie Lesperons. Oh, hi. I'm oh, a, hi. I did Travis again. I didn't mean to do it. I swear. I'm sorry, Travis. Yeah, we just, we miss him. That's all it is. Yeah. Um, our second friend, Flora Marigold. Hello. I feel like I read a book without any pictures in it. <laughs> Great quote. Your streak continues. And our third friend on the show for the first time, I'd like to welcome Mr. Dave Jackson from Tales from the Backlog. Dave, hello. Yay. Howdy, howdy. Thanks Woo. for having me. Really excited. No, it's it's you're long overdue to be on this show. Um, <laughs> if folks don't know you and what you're all about, uh, could you tell folks about your show? Sure. Yeah. Um, so I'm the host of Tales from the Backlog. It is a show uh, pretty similar to Left Behind Game Club. Uh, except I'm a maniac and I record or I do every episodes every week. Uh, so every maniac, <laughs> maniac like I said, uh, I'm also a maniac who does two podcasts. Who who would do such a thing? Right, Jacob? Ouch. Yeah. You hit me in the podcast. <laughs> or, or three. Um, or three. But, you know, we won't talk. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Tales from the Backlog is a weekly backlog games review podcast. Um, I do some new games, but a lot of stuff is just like, hey, I, I feel like playing this game that I've owned on Steam for multiple years and never touched. Time to play it. And then I find a guest. Every episode is me with a different guest. And uh, we we break it down, uh, kind of like on this show. And I guess the one thing I want people to know about my show is that I do a hard, like, uh, what's the word? Spoiler wall. I was trying to think of a different word. I don't know why I'm going off my brand here. Spoiler, Spoiler wall. is a yeah. good, good way to say it. Yeah. So uh, the beginning of every episode is we go as deep as we can on each game with no spoilers whatsoever. And then we warn you when the spoilers begin we do a music break there's a timestamp and everything it's a whole deal after that point full spoilers so if you want to listen to an episode like flora was on my show we talked about the last of us part two um if you haven't played it and you don't want to be spoiled you can listen to the first half of that episode it's like an hour and a half before we get to spoilers <laughs> and that was a long one and it was uh, three hours yeah it was a three hour episode epic um a lot of story talk in that game, though. So that's like a perfect game for uh, my podcast. Like you listen to that. No spoilers. You want to dip out because you don't want to be spoiled. Um, you want to go play the game. Hopefully we convinced you or uh, gave you a better indication of whether you'd like it or not. And then you can come back later and listen to that spoiler discussion. So that's Tales from the Backlog. Uh, Jacob was also on the show. We talked about the one and only Metal Gear Rising Revengeance. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so if you want to find those, we'll actually link the the two episodes that both Flora and I were on in the resources section of the show notes. Uh, Flora was on episode 78 about The Last of Us Part Two. Mm-hmm. I was on episode 84 about Metal Gear Rising Revengeance. Uh, and Dave, on, on Twitter, where are you and where can folks find the Patreon? Right. Uh, thank you. On Twitter, it's at TFTBLPod. And on uh, Instagram, I'm at Tales from the Backlog. And I think that's the handle on Blue Sky 2. And then uh, Patreon is patreon.com slash real Dave Jackson. Because uh, that 
rolls in my other podcast, which is called a top three podcast. That one's much simpler. We do top three lists. Love it. Well, like we said, Dave, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. We are excited to talk about Final Fantasy 16. But before we do that, a little housekeeping. If you like what you hear on these episodes, do us three favors. Give us a review on your podcasting platform of choice. Send this podcast to a friend because that's how people hear about podcasts. And follow us on Twitter. We will never call it X at Left Behind Club. Uh, Dave, we do this thing for new guests on the show. It's called The Gauntlet. It's where we ask you some blasphemous questions about video games. Uh, So if you're ready, we will start that right now. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, Can someone hit a gong for me? (laughs) Boom. Brilliant. That's not a gong. Thank you so much. (laughs) I tried. It was a bass drop. That works too. uh, Have you ever pretended to be sick to get out of something so you could play video games? Uh, almost certainly when I was like in high school, almost definitely like pretended I was sick so I could play Morrowind. Probably that's what I remember playing a lot in high school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is your earliest gaming memory? Uh, probably playing Pac-Man. My uncle had a Pac-Man machine in his basement. So that's probably oh. the first. Yeah, probably my first gaming memory. Yeah. Uh, what game have you spent the most time on? Uh, it It actually might be Morrowind. I've played like completionist level runs multiple times in that game um also in oblivion um i i that's the last game that i got all the achievements in and that was like a 300 plus hour affair uh because i i don't play multiplayer games and i don't play um uh like those endless factory simulation games so that's probably the most uh what is your most controversial gaming opinion oh so i looked at this and i have a, a couple um I, I guess okay. one of my most controversial ones is um, I really love Metroidvanias. Um, and I, if I made a list of my top five Metroidvanias, there would probably not be a Metroid or a Castlevania in the top five. Uh, I, I think that even the even the ones that kind of like spark the genre, like Symphony of the Night and Super Metroid, are they've just been surpassed uh, by stuff that was inspired by it. So I think that's the one. My other semi-controversial opinion is that every day is the new best day to love video games there's a lot of people complaining about <laughs> modern video gaming and i just i don't yes. see it you can play everything now you can play everything you want to play i agree with both of these takes oh like, yeah yes a metroidvania is there, there at this point we, there's been so many great games that have come out that absolutely that you can make that argument and mm-hmm. yes I, I hate to say it but it's never been a better time to be a gamer <laughs> I had to. It's right there. Maybe I'll say something a little slightly more controversial. I think AAA video gaming is good. And it like fits in with what we're talking about today. There's a bunch of people who are like poo-pooing AAA. And it's, yeah, if you want to poo-poo Blizzard and, you know, companies that are terrible to their employees, yeah, do that. But like AAA gaming has a lot to offer. Yes. These aren't that controversial, Dave. But I you know what? We'll give you a pass. I guess I'll ask you a question to activate Flora here. Okay. Is Celeste a Metroidvania? What? <laughs> it's not. I no. say no. No. It's not? Of course it's Is not. Is that a controversial opinion? No, it's it's factually not. You go forward like the entire time, no? Yeah, there's no Fair. backtracking in Celeste with like additional abilities. You like, might you... get back to the library room, I think, maybe. You maybe can you go back to the go... room. 
there's like crystal hearts and stuff you will like return to levels yeah. for to go like off screen to find the secret unlockables, blah, blah, blah. But like there's as a functional yeah. game. No, I, I it's funny because I think I actually said that like back in 2018 or 19, like when I was first <laughs> developing a critical opinion about games. I, I, I swear, I think I threw Celeste into a Metroidvania conversation and got scolded for it. So <laughs> here we are full circle. Well, there, someone's going to uh, scold me in the Discord. You can find that at leftbehindgame.club slash Discord. Uh, Dave, last question. Uh, what is your favorite console generation and why is it the GameCube? <coughs> Sorry. Ooh. Uh, ignore that last part. <laughs> I, I do love the GameCube, but uh, my favorite console generation is the PS4 and Switch and I, I suppose Xbox One. I didn't have one, but that generation is my favorite because I uh, took a break from video gaming like for like the first half or three quarters of like that generation i didn't play anything didn't buy any new consoles and then in like 2018 2019 2019 yeah i got back into gaming and just like a explosion of amazing games waiting for me so that's it will always be special for me i love that well we're about to talk about an explosion of a great video game (laughs) bad uh <laughs> final fantasy 16 uh developed by square enix creative business unit 3 with contributions from square enix creative business unit 1 and platinum games published by square enix on a ps5 originally released on june 22nd of 2023 if you're listening to this sort of when it came out know that we will not cover the dlc because it is not out yet uh we usually wait a year for games to you know put out dlc and then put out the episode but this couldn't wait we needed to talk about final fantasy 16 and we start Talking about this game with our fast pitch, it is a one-sentence description of the game we're about to talk about. I want to hear from maybe Katie first on this. Oh, no. I I once again forgot about the fast pitch. Um, It is, you know what? It's a, it is a, it's a JRPG that pretends to give you choices, but you don't actually have any. And I will rant about this later. Wow. Okay. So we know how Katie feels. Uh, You you said you had opinions in our private Discord, (laughs) so I'm excited to get into it. Uh, Flora? I think that Final Fantasy 16 is the game that should have been called Crisis Core because it has a crisis at its core. Wow. Good. (laughs) Very good. Can I be the, the one who does the stupid for fast pitch? Okay. Here it is. Oops. You got Game of Thrones and my devil may cry. (laughs) <laughs> and my devil may cry and my devil may cry <laughs> Dave can you top that stupid uh, yeah a different kind of stupid uh, I'll say it's one quarter Game of Thrones one f- quarter Final Fantasy and one quarter Devil May Cry where's the other quarter I'm not sure <laughs> <laughs> very good uh, this is why we asked you on Dave you're just full of comedy Um, so to start, I need to know what is your collective experience with the final fantasy games? Because I think we all have different levels of experience and I think that'll set the table well for this very long conversation we're about to have. Flora, I'd love to start with you. I have been exposed to Final Fantasy games my whole life, like growing up, like watching other people play them. Um, but I think the first one I actually put my hands on was seven and I like worked through the original seven for most of the game, but never finished it. Um, and then um, I've played all the way through to completion 10 and 13, which is much reviled for some reason, even though I think 13 was the first one I finished. Um, the 7 remake I absolutely love, and the DLC is is great too. Um, and then this one, and kind of nothing else. Like I've seen, I've been exposed to like the multiplayer stuff. I'm just a little scared of it. Um, a lot of the older ones, it just feels kind of like weird to go back to those. Um, and the rest, I just, I kind of like was taking a break from gaming as well, like what Dave is saying. 
Katie? Less or more? Um, less, I guess. Um, I okay. used to play. I liked. I loved going back and playing um, three. Like I've played a good chunk of three multiple times. Um, like the OG one kept going back to that actually for some reason just in the last few months was like i should go back and play one and actually finish it why because there aren't enough games out right now sure but yeah i fired (laughs) up final fantasy one and finished that um i've touched final fantasy seven the both the original and the remake and for some reason just stopped both i want to go i literally today downloaded the remake of final fantasy seven back on my ps5 We'll see. I plan to get to it. Um, and then, other than that, not much. Like, not much of the most recent. Like, just kind of being aware of it by osmosis, but not actually playing the games. Okay. Uh, I'll go really quickly, because I, I have no experience with Final Fantasy games. This is my first core Final Fantasy game I've ever played. I've touched Tactics Advance. I've oh, touched tactics. Crystal Chronicles. I forgot about Tactics. Yeah, tactics, tactics is a good... Yeah. Yeah, but that's that's truly it. So this is my first mainline game, and I have thoughts. Dave, more or less than us? Uh, I would say more. I've played, I've finished or played like most of 6, 7, 9, 10, 13, yeah. and 16, and then the 7 remake, uh, Stranger of Paradise, which is awesome. <laughs> I love that game. And uh, tactics as well. And then I've dabbled in uh, several others in the series and like fallen off for various reasons, like eight and 12 uh, and 15. Yeah. So I've played a bunch of them at this point. I I, have the big hole in my Final Fantasy experience is the MMOs uh, because I don't play MMOs and uh, the Super Nintendo and the NES ones, which I'm going to go back and play sometime. So I'm a fan of the series. Yeah. Okay, so none of us have played the MMORPGs. I think what I'd quickly love to do is say how 16 is different than other games in the series, and I think, Dave, you're probably most well-equipped to to help out with this. Uh, Yoshi P., who helped with 14, to really turn it around and make it not a disaster as it was when it came out, um, is heavily involved in this one, along with the um, combat designer, I believe, from Devil May Cry, Ryota Suzuki. So that's why this game's a little different. It's an action game, not an RPG. Is it the most action-y of Final Fantasy games, Dave? Yeah. um, There are other action games like Stranger of Paradise. I mean, if we're talking in like the main numbered series. Yeah, definitely. Um, And like you said, it it really stands off from the others because like 7 Remake is action, but there's a bunch of like you can pause and do spells and buffs and stuff like that. Um, this one's the only one that's like, no, this is an action game straight up. It's barely an RP. It's an RPG. It has vestigial RPG elements is what I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you control one character. Uh, you have icons versus summons. Uh, and it's the first, and keep me honest here. I believe it's the first core Final Fantasy game that has an M rating as well. Yeah. And there's, I think so, there's yeah. some things in it that earns it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we dive into the setup, I'd love to know... Uh, everyone here played out PS5 because it's not out on PC yet. Um, but did anyone here start with a demo and then go for the full game? Or did you go straight into the full game? Okay, so at least three of us. I think this is the best demo experience that you could ever hope to get for a video game. Because there's just like, here's a couple of hours of the first game and if you like it, just buy it and go. Flora? 
Absolutely. I was sitting on the fence the whole time about this game. Not that I was skeptical of what it was going to be like, uh, but rather I just had other games on my plate that were unfinished. And um, I I installed the demo and I was like, what? It can't go wrong. You know, I'll, I'll just play an hour or so. I ended up finishing it and buying the game before I finished the demo. I was like that hooked that quickly. Um, I won't say any more about that because that's something I actually addressed in the article I wrote about the game. But um, I think Dave also demoed this. Oh, yeah. Um, I knew I was going to buy this. I didn't need the demo because, you know, longtime fan of the series. I'm going to buy the numbered ones that aren't MMOs. But uh, yeah, you're right. Like this demo was ridiculous. Like it showed off the combat. It, um, you know, introduced you to the story, but it didn't just introduce you to the story. The demo ends on like the mother of all cliffhangers. Mm -hmm. So all the Discord chats that I'm in talking about uh, games were full of like, did you all just finish that demo? Like what is happening? I'm buying the game right now. It, everyone who was on the fence was like, yeah, I'm in. Um, I agree. Probably the best demo I've ever played. And the fact that it just continues on, like if you buy the game, you just pick up where you left off was just uh, the cherry on top. Yeah, no restrictions. And for me, I, I traded a bunch of games and I'd left my copy sealed because I've never played one. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to give this a real college try. I, I need to play as Ben Star. I mean, Clive Rosfield. Uh, and uh, I was not disappointed and very much just like as soon as I got through the demo, I just ripped open the game and just threw it in the PS5 and, and kept going from there. So big props to that demo. Uh, I think it's probably best now if we sort of set up this game uh, really quickly and the world of Alistia. Uh, does anyone want to take a stab? Obviously, as a team, we'll collectively do this. But does anyone want to start and... Uh, maybe set up where the demo starts. I don't know Katie? where the demo starts. I was going to say, I will try. The and demo s- is the start. Okay. Um, oh, well, well, the start. So you've got, I th- okay, something that this game does very, very well is set up a world mm-hmm. with uh, different, you know, factions and kingdoms and also just like a history of how different groups of people are thought of which are the branded is one of the biggest things of this game that is most interesting to me so basically valisthea valisthea correct yes i'm getting nods valisthea is a world where um you know there's magic there is ether that people use to draw on to use magic um most people just have to use a crystal and they're like oh if they have a crystal then they can use that to use magic Um, there are certain people who can just use magic without using crystals and they can just like channel it on their own. And then through this very interesting um, kind of political manipulation, those people are turned into like lower class citizens that are used to uh, almost enslaved really to different powerful factions and yeah, just the idea that they twisted this around of like, no, these aren't good people. These are bad people that are worthless and they're here to serve us. And I don't know, that was really interesting. So that for me, that's kind of sets the base where we get there. Um, and also there are people who can dominance, who can summon Ifrit and Shiva and uh, other big uh, icons because <laughs> we've decided to call them icons in this one. So yeah, spelled, so that they uh, can have iconic uh, hey. attacks. I'm like, oh, I see what you did there. Yeah, it's spelled E-I-K-O-N. And just when I started playing the game and hearing people talk about it on podcasts, I was like, icons and spelling it like I C O 
N, uh, mm. which was a fatal mistake. But um, so that's the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, we start as and play as Clive Rossfield, um, who's part of the Kingdom of Rosaria. Yeah. Uh, he's got a couple of very important characters around him. Uh, Dave or Flora, do you want to sort of set the stage for the folks in Rosaria that are very important here? Clive is um, the firstborn son of, I think it's the Duchy of Rosaria. Uh, So at the beginning, you meet Clive's father, who's the leader of the region, and you meet his younger brother, Joshua, uh, who is, uh, uh, Katie mentioned the dominance who can like command the power of the icons. And that's really that along with being situated around these giant crystals that are like the source of all the ether. That's what gives the countries their power in this world, uh, their political power and their military power as well. Mm-hmm. Um, now Clive's situation is kind of cool. Cause uh, Clive was not Clive's the firstborn son. He's the heir to like the power of the Phoenix, but he did not get the power of the Phoenix. Uh, Joshua was born with the power of the Phoenix, but Joshua was a little kid so Joshua just can't go out on the battlefield and fight because, again, he's a little kid. So we have this really interesting setup where, like, Clive is a bearer. He's he's blessed with the power to use magic. But it, as Katie said, uh, the bearers are second-class citizens, basically. Clive is in a noble family, so he's not quite a second-class citizen. But, like, his mom hates him because uh, he's like that. And um, so he just kind of, like, swears to protect Joshua until Joshua is old enough to do... Uh, what are they dominant stuff out on the battlefield <laughs> it's a, it's a cool um cool setup for just all of these like forces around clive clive is powerful but he's not as powerful as he should be um he should be uh respected by everyone but he's not because of his situation uh joshua is too young to fully be the force that he was born to be um it, it's a cool setup yeah i like that it's two brothers that are both not quite fulfilling what they're supposed to be. Yeah. Um, you know, deemed by their family anyway, what they're supposed to be. Whereas, like you said, um, Clive is supposed to be the firstborn. He's supposed to be the most powerful, supposed to be the dominant. He's not. Um, but he's still lovely about it. Which, like, Clive, yeah. you know, I really... <sighs> Clive goes through a lot and he stays just like a sweetheart who, like, mm-hmm. really cares about everyone and isn't afraid to show that he cares about everyone. I really appreciate it. And mm-hmm. then also Joshua, who is the dominant, who's supposed to be the strong one, and he's kind of a frail, small child. Yeah. He can't mm-hmm. really do anything for himself and really depends on Clive to be his shield, um, who mm-hmm. takes, you know, Clive takes on the role, uh, the official role as the first first shield of Rosaria to protect his younger brother. But his younger brother is supposed to be the strong one. So, like... They're both kind of trying to find their place. And when we talk about the Game of Thrones vibes, I think like this is probably the place where it emanates most because the Rossfield family is very much, if you've watched Game of Thrones, the Stark family, yeah. where we have Elwyn, who's the king, who is very much like Sean Bean's character in uh, Game of Thrones. Then you have um, Clive, who's very much like a Jon Snow analog, where, you know, he's he's brave and he's, you know, valorous, but he is sort of a He's sort of a bastard uh, in that respect, as far as the power goes. And then you have, you know, the, the weak, um, the weak brother and uh, Annabella Rossfield is just really terrible. There's no direct analog in Game of Thrones, but she is terrible mm-hmm. and she continues to be terrible. And I'm, I will talk about it later, but I appreciate what happens to her later. Uh, <laughs> they even have really a direwolf. They have yes! a direwolf. They have Quite a Torgal. Literally. 
is this the Torgal appreciation minute? Because I think absolutely, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Torgal's a little puppy when the game starts, and then becomes like a becomes an, an important figure later. Uh, that that we'll we'll dive into later. There's an important thing that happens, which really sets off the rest of the game. Um, we're just going to talk about the first five hours for now. Uh, it's what's in the demo. But essentially, the thing that really kicks off the conflict in this game is that there's a there's a secret coup that happens. Uh, I think we'll have to sort of do sp- mini spoiler walls to say, here's what happens in this part of the game, here's what happens in this part, and then here's what happens in this part. So we'll make sure to let you know sort of where we're at in the game. Um, but do y'all want to help set up that that first major conflict, and then we'll dive into all the things about this video game. I can kick us off here and say, um, what happens is it's it's nighttime. Uh, there's an attack on their castle, and that's when we find out that uh, someone very close to the family um, may not be as truthful or as loving as she, um, as she initially had said. Yeah, Who she's wants the to worst. Jump- yeah, she's, she's the she's absolute the, worst. I was gonna say, I, who could it be? Oh, <laughs> I wonder. The one who's been mean the whole time, who like looks yeah. at uh, Clive like he's trash. Yeah, that yeah. one. She literally only cares about her royal bloodline. So for her, like she's really looking for a way to strengthen her own political power, and really, it's toppling the regime that she is attached to, and almost trying again. And what that means is both Clive and Joshua end up in, in a rough spot. Um, but what happens is uh, Joshua um, becomes the Phoenix, uh, sort of the first version of the icon that we'll see. Uh, and then all of a sudden, um, Ifrit, who's another icon, you know, starts to battle um, the Phoenix. This is where we get icon battles. Uh, this is a core, you know, tenant of the boss battles in this game. And they're just badass. Can we say that? Yeah, uh, they are like when you buy a triple A high ultra budget video game, I think the spectacle that you get with the icon battles is what you want. This is what you're coming to yeah. a game with this budget for. You want to be blown away by some stuff. And I was like absolutely blown away by just about all of these icon fights. Like because you get one in the demo. So we talk about how the demo hooked everybody to buy the game. You mm-hmm. get this incredible icon fight in the demo. And then like you play the one in the demo and you're like, I don't know how they could escalate it from that. But like the, some of the ones you do later in the game are insane. Like the coolest things I've ever seen in a video game are in this game, in these icon fights. They're wild. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I will say, I think I think the icon battles, there's some other things that I enjoyed also. I think the icon battles kind of saved this game for me. Okay. Because, not because they're so great to play, but because they're so spectacular and that... And they're just beautiful. And, and even though it, it sometimes gets reduced to um, um, quick... Uh, uh, Quick QTEs. time events? Basically QTEs. Like, very, not slow QTEs. <clears throat> A-S-T-E. But um, it sounded like something else, but I'm going to move on. Uh, <laughs> basically, sometimes it gets reduced to that. And even though I'm doing quick time events, it is so... Everything is coming together between the visuals, the music, um, like the impact, the haptics on the controller. Everything is happening in a way that is done so well that 
it captivates you. And yeah, the lead up to these battles, like these like gauntlets of enemies with the action just as Clive just on the ground and then going into these battles are, I don't know, they're just spectacular. Like I multiple times paused them and was like, excuse me, to my spouse sitting next to me. I was like, took off my headphones to put the, the volume back to the TV, turned it up and was like, look at this. You just have to look at this. Like, look at how pretty this is and what's happening. It's amazing. Uh, yeah, it's like one of the most cinematic things I've ever seen in a video game. I feel like I've seen stuff like this in plenty of other video games before. But for me, one of the keys is um, the fact that these sequences are interactive. Because even like a God of War, like a, another Sony title, has some amazing, like the, how is the camera following this level of action sort of intensity? Um, and the particle effects going on in these icon battles are off the charts because there's like typically like flames and ice and wind and lightning happening. Um, and just like things being punched and shattered and just all sorts of, um, just like sort of accessory animations happening on it. It brings it to a level where, okay, I've seen this in an uncharted game before or something, but I haven't played it. And, and that was, I think the, like, I'm not willing to go to the same place Katie just went and say this saved the game for me. I still think I'm in the camp of that's the only thing in this game that really pulled me through. Um, I do think those moments, though, to go maybe a little bit closer to Dave, is like, those are why I come to like a AAA game in the first place. Like those moments on their own, basically zero critiques other than maybe that QTE thing. Like that, that always felt a little redundant. And at some point, like, okay, maybe you're just feeding me interactivity and this isn't really asking anything of me other than just, are yeah. you still holding the controller? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Uh, have any of y'all played Osiris Wrath? Because that is exactly no. like what this... Okay, you haven't played Osiris Wrath? <laughs> I need Wrath. to. Anyone? It's that 360 game, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a 360 <clears throat> game. And I, th- I think it's a Namco joint, if I'm not mistaken. But essentially, it is very... Let- the whole game is QTEs. Mm-hmm. I mean, two-thirds of the game is QTEs. And that's what that reminded me. Because there's a, a huge scale of battle. It's like playing a Dragon Ball Z uh, you know, anime episode. Uh, which... <laughs> this is sort of what this felt like at times with the, and not to like diminish it in any way. I think it was one of the strongest parts of this game. Um, beyond the icon fights, your character also has a, a slew of different powers and abilities that they can, they can pull out. Um, I think we should talk about the combat and maybe talk about um, how this we've, we've teased it out. It differs a little bit from a traditional final fantasy game in that it's action focused. It's closer to something like a devil may cry. Um, does someone want to jump in and explain sort of not only the the dodges, the parries, the attacks, but also the icon abilities that you'll end up getting? So it's pretty straightforward. You've got your face button attacks, which like you've got your light attack, your heavy attack, um, and you can kind of combine those in certain succession to involve your iconic elemental abilities. Um, so like three light attacks and a heavy attack will give you a um, like a little burst of fire that's supposed to rack up a combo multiplier. And in my experience, and I'd be really interested to hear the rest of you, the combo thing is something I just didn't pay attention to and basically like forgot about immediately as a feature of what the combat system was going for. Um, the real thing that I was focusing on in combat was dodging until you can equip something on your character that then just auto dodges for you if you want to set that up. Um, and as soon as I had that option and the option to like get Torgal to auto fight for me and just anything that required me to think less during combat, I typically just equipped <laughs> those things and, and then combat then consequently became a little rote. But, um, the thing that 
is something you have to pay attention to, which sort of feels like Final Fantasy VII Remake a little bit, is where your iconic powers are these um, more, like you have to wait on a timer to refill in order for you to, u- for you to use it, but it's a bigger burst of damage, and typically it has some cool animation flair that engages the enemy, Some like whether that's throwing up like a wing of a phoenix, or whether that's like running into it repetitively and knocking it into a wall for... 20,000 damage or whatever it is with your character. Um, and then like the parry thing, I, again, I feel like I sort of forgot about, um, I, I don't know if any of y'all actually use that system beyond like the parrying initial hours. Happened, parrying just happened incidentally, right? <laughs> no one ever yeah. meant to parry. It was a nice no little one... treat when it happened. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Like, hey, guess what? You accidentally parried. Good for you. You can hit them a bunch of times now. I was mm-hmm. like, this, this is how I parry. I just attack them when they attack me. That's just happening. Like I don't know. That was never a choice for me. It just it just occurred. Dodging yeah. on the other hand felt very satisfying mm-hmm. because you get that perfect dodge. You can mm-hmm. get in for like a powerful um, mm-hmm. like counter hit. I liked the dodge mechanic very much. Yeah, and even some of the the powers that you'll um, add on later to fight like your uh, down thrust ability which is like a jump that you then slash down I tended to use that all the time especially if I I did a dodge like a perfect dodge where I you know you can equip an uh, an ability later that essentially like makes you disappear for almost a half second and then dodge to the side and then that's when I'm usually down thrusting or using a charge for my um, for my sword but I felt the core um, fighting in the game was actually more satisfying than I thought it was going to be because I hear Final Fantasy and I go, oh, this is going to be like really boring RPG style uh, attacks. And I, wow. I challenge your entire argument, but okay, I'll <laughs> let it go. Continue. Okay. Go ahead, Dave. Uh, go ahead, Dave. <laughs> yeah, I, I so it, it, was, it was interesting. I, I was hoping to get like now that we've kind of set up what the combat is, like how you all feel about it. Um because I, the the best way that I can describe my thoughts on the combat in sixteen is that it kept my hands busy, but my brain was not busy at all. I was like acutely aware that all I'm doing is just waiting for my cooldowns. And the the thing that kind of like really bugged is like not not really bugged. It was a bummer, a huge bummer for this combat. Is you have all these elemental attacks. You have fire and you have wind and ice and everything like that. But elements don't matter. It's just different colors. Uh, and so yeah. the only reason I would use a fire attack over an ice attack against an enemy <clears throat> is because the fire one's cooldown is ready. And the the, the kicker is I, I come into this with institutional knowledge about Final Fantasy enemies. And they bring back classic enemies like the... Uh, like the uh, the Marbles, the, which they renamed the Marlboros because no one can say that word correctly. Um, and they bring back the bombs and stuff like, and you have all this knowledge where you're like, oh, it's a bomb. If I hit it with fire, it will explode. That's what they've done for the entire series. Not in Final Fantasy 16. They're just regular <laughs> enemies. Fire does nothing special to them. And so I'm I'm playing this combat. I'm mashing the square button because it's the, the for some reason, there's no heavy attack button in this game. Um and I'm just kind of waiting for my cooldowns. And then if I hit that stagger, because all enemies have the stagger bar, then I unload with whatever's available. And then I repeat that same process. And if I'm fighting a big boss, maybe I'll do that same process six or seven times. And it's it was just like, it's it's flashy. 
it looks great. It, it kept me busy. The dodge is really satisfying. I enjoyed getting those perfect dodges because my lizard brain likes when the game slows down yeah. when I get the perfect dodge. Mm-hmm. But as far as like this being an engaging combat system, I was really disappointed by it. Um, and that's, I'm not this crazy action game person. Like I, I like the Bayonetta and Metal Gear Rising. Well, actually, I want to talk about uh, Metal Gear Rising. That's a, a combat system where I'm thinking <laughs> about what I'm doing all the time and adjusting. Um, Stranger of Paradise, the the Final Fantasy spinoff that Team Ninja did has all these elemental weaknesses and different spells with different effects and different use cases. And 16 just kind of felt like a a display of particle effects of different colors. And everything else was just kind of going through the motions. The particle effects look so good, though, right? I found them to be... There were a lot of times when I'm fighting, I'm like, I don't know what's going on right now. The, the screen is just full of stuff. Yeah. If there are too many abilities happening at once, you actually can't see. And yeah. I'm just dodging and attacking and meaninglessly because yeah. I'm like, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> Flora, agree, disagree? Uh, oh, agreed. There were a few disorienting moments in combat that you just kind of have to accept and thank the gods for that little like auto dodge attachment. Because if I can't tell, like I guess the <laughs> game can tell. Um, just to throw a few more wrenches about combat, as y'all were speaking and fleshing this out a little more, I remembered I didn't say anything about this. Um, you can uh, double click your um, analog sticks when you charge up a certain amount of bars for like an overdrive attack that channels. Clive's icon Ifrit and um, it I didn't ever really feel satisfied when using this even though it was something that felt like okay I'm gonna get a little boost or I'm gonna get quicker attacks or maybe I can use this uh, and time it when I stagger my enemy Um, that was just another feature of just kind of adding an extra thing to do in combat like keeping the hands busy like Dave was saying Um, I don't know that that ever turned the tide for me in combat other than the fact that it heals you when you attack, which was something that I did make use of quite a bit. The other thing that I was thinking about just throwing out and mentioning is when you change icons, because as you collect them throughout the course of the game, um, they do different things with the circle button where uh, your initial icon, you will like dash towards uh, your enemy to then be able to attack them more quickly. Um, other ones, like I believe the wind one, like yanks the person towards you um, if the enemy is, you know, actually grabbable. Uh, and then the like the lightning one, for example, like it actually throws you into sort of like a reticle, like a window where you then set up your reticle on the enemy and it will count up a number of lightning charges it will send out. So they all do a little bit of different things. But again, the elemental thing is is where you would expect those to make the difference. So. Okay. Katie? So, what Dave went into with, well, things don't really matter. Like, the the elements don't matter. Um, kind of plays into basically my biggest issue with this game and why at one point, it's one of the reasons, I have other reasons, <clears throat> but at one point in the middle of the game, Jacob had messaged uh, me and uh, co-host Travis that, oh, I just finished it. I played this many hours. I've played so much. I've played a bunch of side quests and all this stuff. And you were talking it up. And I texted Travis separately and said, I was literally thinking today, is this a bad game? (laughs) And I've come around. Uh, My opinion has improved. But at that moment, I was going, is this a bad game? I don't know. Like Because nothing, almost nothing that you do matters. Your choice of weapon doesn't matter. 
Like when you're upgrading your weapon, it's literally just a number going up. You don't have any choices to make. It's not like, oh, this weapon does better fire or is better at countering or uh, better with doing a perfect dodge counter or anything. Nothing. It's literally just your attack is better. Like the point goes higher. Um, Your element really doesn't matter aside from abilities that you like. But like the choice, but like like you said, the color could be something else and it wouldn't change anything. I would just be like, oh no, I like that ability and what it does, but the color doesn't matter. Um, side quests don't matter. Loot barely matters. Like I, I, I love looting. I love looting <laughs> so much. It's one of my favorite things. You could put looting into a bad game somewhere and if it's good loot, I'm in. Like I will loot <laughs> to my heart's content. And at the beginning of the game, I'm running around going, oh, there's a chest over there. There's something to pick up over there. And I'm grabbing them. And I'm like, oh, none of this is anything. It's a miscellaneous side currency that I could use to pick up a sword that is kind of better, that doesn't do anything. And also, I am am being spoon-fed enough resources to be able to get that new sword when it becomes available anyway. I don't have to do anything outside of the main game that to get me those resources. Or like like later on, there are some other swords, but also those swords don't do anything special. So why am I going out of my way to get different loot? I have so many problems. The side quests are irrelevant. <laughs> like anyone you talk to, they literally are like, hey, how about my farm? Can you go get me two things? And I'm like, sure, I'll go get those two things. And I come back and he says, thanks. That's it. And <laughs> yeah. at a game of this scale and this, I can see like obviously the budget and a lot of the budget and attention went to these big moments, went to the story, the cutscenes, these big combat moments that are spectacular. And I enjoyed the story and I enjoyed the characters and I enjoyed the battles. But like the minute to minute gameplay most of the time I found extremely tedious and painful. Like, oh, when I'm going from one end of the hideaway to the other one and they're like, hey, could you talk to so-and-so? I'm like, sure. I run all the way to the other end. I talk to so-and-so. They're like, hey, cool. We're going to do that thing. Can you run to the other end and talk to so-and-so? I'm like, can't we all just talk together, everybody? Why am I doing this? I d- yeah. <sighs> I think this game is a very clear example of it is better than the sum of its parts. Because I think even when you think of the combat, just to put a cherry on top of that, there's a lot of elements that go into combat. There are the icon abilities. There's the the weapon choices, which really are no choices. Um, but some of the like combos that you have. And for me, my lizard brain was like... I am kind of automatically doing the thing that I do in a lot of these battles, but there is some strategy of like, hey, when I'm going to use this icon power versus this one. A little bit. A little bit. There's like crowd control ability versus a single enemy ability. Yes. That's 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 kind of all but yeah i'm just mindlessly cycling through my icons and using their abilities when their cooldowns are up but it is satisfying to play while you're in these action sequences even if it is a little bit mindless yeah and i look i played 51 hours of this game it is the the, you know i I beat 100 percent of the side quest confused why because i really loved it and it's, look, there are some moments uh, before Dave jumps in that are, like, there are sometimes I play the game and I'm like, I just played for an hour and nothing significant happened. But I can clearly point at, like, probably 10 really important tent poles in the story, and most of them were really cool to do. So it's, 
yes, was the game maybe a little bit too long? Was a little sparsely populated with things to do or unimportant side quests? Yes. I uh, but I think to your point, story, voice acting, uh, big moments made it all worth it. Do you find yourself playing older games and wishing that there were new discussions about those games? Enter Tales from the Backlog. Hi, I'm Dave Jackson, and on each episode, I'm joined by a guest to break down those games that may be stuck in your ever-expanding backlog. Each episode looks at one game in depth, focusing on mechanics, story, music, and other aspects with no spoilers until a clearly marked spoiler wall in the middle. If you've played the game, go ahead and climb that spoiler wall and enjoy in-depth story discussions. And if not, jump out when we warn you and maybe go play that game for yourself. We have over 100 episodes in the feed, everything from Disco Elysium to Tunic to discussion episodes about how to get into horror games. And if games actually need to be fun or if they have more to offer, I guarantee that there's something in there for everybody. Once again, that's Tales from the Backlog, available wherever your podcasts are found. I actually think that like those big moments, like we talked about the icon battles, the stuff that really stands out that cost that casts like a bright light on the rest of the game and a a giant shadow in uh, as a result. I actually think this game's less than the sum of its parts. I I came away pretty disappointed by this. Um, Like this, this combat system that looks cool and feels cool, but ultimately in my opinion is not cool. Uh, the, we'll, I, I think we'll talk about the story at some point. I, I really think the story loses its way uh, yeah. along the way. Yeah. Um, but all the things that Katie's talking about, the weird loot system, the fact that I finished this game with like hundreds of thousands of gold and nothing to spend it on, the, the fact that the side quests are almost uniformly garbage. It garbage. really feels like... Um, translating MMO design games that are designed for you to play forever into a single player game. And all of those things like the, the, the meaningless side quests where they're like, Hey, can you go get me five piles of dirt? And I'm thinking in my literal head, dirt. I'm like, yeah, literally, I, I, that's not an example that I made up. That's a quest. Um, I, I'm thinking of like examples where like, I remember games that have good, interesting side quests like in my opinion the witcher 3 has some of the best in the business yes. where someone would say can you go kill this this simple monster it's been <clears throat> bothering our town you go there and it's not what they said was happening there's a twist there's a narrative uh that there's something different going on with the narrative there or like something different with the gameplay happens that you weren't expecting and even like a simple quest like that could turn out to be something memorable. But as Katie said in 16, it literally is just go get those five piles of dirt. You go home and the guy says, thanks. And then 25 hours later, he says, Hey, I need you to do something else for me. And I was like, no, I'm not was doing anything else for you. Because I, I, I didn't don't ask him. I don't, I don't remember, <laughs> but there was a point where, um, about halfway through this game, there's two types of side quests. There's the ones that have the exclamation point, and there's the one that have the plus uh, signs. I did all the ones that have the plus because they give you gameplay upgrades. Um, and I was like, cool, make my potions better. That's that's cool. I'm, I'm happy with that. But I did not do a single one with an explanation point, exclamation point later in the game because you just you burn me too many times with these boring wastes of time. 
and I'm I'm just not going to do it anymore. Like I I played this game for 45 hours, and so like the difference between me and you, Jacob, is not that much. It's no. a long game as it is, and there's a certain point where I'm just like I I don't. People tell me that some of the late game side quests are better, but I I yes I, I'm just gonna like I did some of them where they're like, do you want to learn the backstory for this person in the hideout? And I was in my head, I was like, no, I don't actually care about their backstory. I don't, this is a cardboard cutout that's been giving me quests for 20 hours. I don't, I don't care about them. So no, I'm not doing their quests. Um, I want this game to be over. That's, that's kind of it. And so all that to say, uh, this really felt to me like MMO designers use MMO game design on a single player game. And there's a bunch of stuff that really sticks out in a bad way. I couldn't agree more with all of what Dave just said. I just want to emphasize and <laughs> thank just, you. Like, I feel like I blacked that. out for a second there. <laughs> <laughs> um, like I, all of that is at the heart of my critique of this game. The one thing I want to sort of speak to is the fact that I also did all of the side quests, despite having the feeling that you were also just describing, Dave, of just like, no, you're burning me too many times. And also designating pretty early on that the side quests with the plus are the ones that actually matter. Um, I was skipping through the dialogue and I was still doing the side quests and I couldn't articulate why. Like, why am I doing these? Why does it bug me that there's an unfinished side quest sitting here when I know I don't care about the story? I know the task I'm going to be involved with is going to be repetitive five piles of dirt. And... What I'm going to get out of it is going to give me more gold accumulation that I can't spend on, like you were saying. The only thing I could really spend it on, perhaps, is just like these music tracks for the jukebox chilling in the hideout, (laughs) which they're like absurdly overpriced songs. They're like 40,000 a pop. Um, But the, the thing I also wanted to speak to is like Katie said that she was like, looting and like looting is a great thing here um i also was going out of my way to loot the whole game i'm doing the side quests i'm looting and i'm getting nothing out of it and i consciously was aware but i was still i don't know what it is in this game it was sort of like the last of us where i have everything i need i have a full inventory of all of the fully crafted everything but i see a shiny drawer and i just have to (laughs) open it and that's like this game i'm like doing stuff that i can tell doesn't matter and I still do it anyway. And that's a weird compulsion of video games that I just wanted to throw out despite remembering nothing about any of those side quests. There's one I can say something meaningful about that. Mm-hmm. Oh, tell us. Oh, uh, it's where this spoilers, is. I think everybody. Th- this is spoilers. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, should we just throw the spoiler yeah, wall down? I think so. Is it's this a, the time? You know what? <clears throat> Overall, I enjoyed the game. I just think it's too long and there are parts of it that are not worth my time in any way. Mm. But like on the whole, I think it is worth, like it has worth to it. Okay. Okay. If you are interested in playing Final Fantasy 16, uh, from this point on, we are going to spoil the entire game. So if you're interested, please play the game or at least some part of it. Come back and then uh, enjoy the rest of this episode and the next episode. All right, Flora, what was your favorite side mission? First, I want to tack on, just play the demo. Just play the demo and then come back and listen. The demo is going to be like everything you need. And then you can just like watch the YouTube cutscene movie. Um, (laughs) The side quest that I will say I think was worth my time and actually hit me a little bit emotionally was where Clive uh, rekindles his relationship with uh, Ambrosia, the Chocobo. Yeah, I cried. 
I, I teared up too. Like it, it got me. It was a mixture of, I didn't see, or I didn't expect that we would see this animal again. I thought this animal was dead because of the context of the demo and the intro of this game. Um, and then also the fact that it was just generic side quests after generic side quests. I wasn't expecting a important story character to be interwoven here. And then it actually opens up a new ability that you have, which is when you have the open, like in between planes, these little hallways where you can go loot and fight stuff. Um, you can then run a chocobo through it and get rid of having to waste your time running through these environments, which is like, thank the gods. Um, and so, so that was the one that I was like, okay, if, anyone is going to make the mistake of playing this game do that one side quest um yeah this normally i am i have a hard time running past side quests or running past loot in almost any game i'm playing baldur's gate 3 and i am doing absolutely everything Mm -hmm. which was also an obstacle to me finishing final fantasy 16 because i was like i could be playing baldur's gate 3 but, oh, yeah. uh, but no, this game, I found my, I was like, no, I just ran past everything. And which mm-hmm. tells me how little I thought of the early side quests that I'm like, no, like there's a soldier lion next to the road going like, oh no, how could this have happened? And I'm like, bye dude. And I just ran by <laughs> without a care in the world. Um, yeah, I don't know. It was just, it was, it was tough. It was a tough one. This is, um, it's a great comparison because I am also playing Baldur's Gate 3 and I'm also doing everything available to everything. me. And me too. Everything <laughs> is of value. Everything. Yes, exactly. Everything is meaningful. And mm-hmm. uh, mechanically or narratively, or yep. there is value in everything in that game. And I, I just want to point out to people who don't know me how much it hurts me to leave those exclamation yes. points unresolved. Uh the hideout is full of people who want me to do quests and like in most other games, I will do all of them. But yeah, 16, like every time I walk past uh, and someone's like, yeah, I, I need you to go just kill these monsters or whatever. I was like, ah, no, I don't No, I don't really want to, um, even though it hurts me to leave that unresolved. The way they doled them out too sometimes was confusing because uh you know i got to basically the final boss and they essentially give you the most side quests like in the last you could finish the game and they're like just kidding here's 13 more side quests that you can go do (laughs) and as a sicko i went and did every single one of them and i think arguably two of the most important side quests or the most significant side quests happen in that last bunch that if you've played the game and you're like, I just want to see how this ends, you're going to miss them. You have a great moment with Jill where you sort of, you know, bring her back to her her childhood and, you know, explore the flowers and you just have a great moment between you. And then beyond the Ambrosia side quest, which is probably my, my favorite, my second favorite is a moment you have with Torgal, where, you know, Torgal, after the events uh, that happened in Rosaria at the, the castle that you were at, um, you loot, like, you are taken and separated from Torgal, your dog, and really, like, you are reunited with Torgal many years later. We haven't explained the time skip, which is probably the next thing we should probably explain, but... Um, you find out like Torgal brings you to your treehouse from when you were a child and essentially shows you that like he went back to the rubble of the castle to dig for you because he wasn't sure that you were dead and found like your armor and your sparring sword that you played with in the first five hours and essentially like throws it at your feet 
and then you know you see a, a flashback of Torgal as a small puppy it destroyed me it Aww. absolutely destroyed me because I have a thing for animals yeah. and the two animal quests are the ones that made me cry in this game so you see that is emblematic emblematic <clears throat> and we I think we can move on but I, I just gotta say like there are two Torgal side quests at least two and I did the first one because after Torgal does his transformation um you go back to the hideout, there's a side quest where they're like, something's wrong with Torgal. And I was like, oh, okay, let me see what I can do for Torgal. And that side quest is literally go get these bones because he's hungry. <laughs> and that's it. And I, I think yeah. that might have been the breaking point where it's like, I'm not doing any of these side quests ever again. This is garbage. And then to hear, I've heard you and then people on my podcast talk about that second Torgal side quest. I'm like, why did I have to do that earlier one that means nothing yeah. to get to the good stuff? Okay, I'm gonna say one last thing, and then I think we can move on to the. the I have the one last of the game thing after. Like. I'll just yeah. say about Jacob. I was just stunned because typically your thing is you don't like long games. No, and you don't I'm more like, of a doer than a talker. Yeah, you don't like games that don't respect your time. So uh-huh. when you told me that you did every single side quest, I was so just baffled yeah. at how this happened. You know what I think it is? I just wanted to live in the world for longer. And maybe that speaks to the MMO sort of roots that this game has or like, um, you know, slant uh, that it just like you want to live in this world more. And that's sort of what I wanted. I wanted to be around these characters. I wanted to be at the hideaway. I wanted to like fight with my brain off because a lot of these side quests are brain off. But even some of the side quests after those two, like Blacksmith Blues, is there's four of them that you essentially have to do where there's some version of like, go find this material that'll make your sword good. Those ones were okay. But then there's, to your point, there's a lot of junk. There's a side quest at one point where there's a kid who like, lost their dog or lost their animal and oops it's actually a bearer that is dead so there's these cool little moments but i would say like 80 percent of the side quests are absolute trash so i i don't fully i don't fully disagree with what you guys are saying one thing jacob you mentioned a few minutes ago is that you felt like there were maybe a dozen tentpole story moments i guess we're yeah. going to kind of go in that direction but for me it's it's a lot less than that mm. um the story stuff that impacted me was almost entirely icon battle related like like contextualized mm. into those scenes um or the bookends of the beginning and the end so um i'm really curious to hear like what worked for everyone in this story um i couldn't really do a lot other than like reading a summary about this um i couldn't do a lot of like oh here's this really interesting like dramatic tension like if this evokes game of thrones as we've said um the thing about game of thrones is that i get like tragically surprised uh there's so few things like that in the story that i can point to so I'm really interested to listen to what y'all have to say about like what worked in the story, Katie. Well, I mean, I think first surprise um, story moment is that when the um, the Phoenix fights Ifrit, who shows up at the at uh, uh, what's it called the uh, Rosaria Phoenix, at Phoenix Rosaria, Gate. the big battle Rosaria, Phoenix and, Gate. Thank you, Phoenix Gate. Um, and Ifrit wins and kills the phoenix aka joshua as clive is looking on and that is the thing that kind of ends that time period we jump forward clive is now a soldier he is a bearer um 
or a Brandon, Brandon. now because they've branded him. Uh, and he is fighting for the Empire. He's just like an Empire slave soldier. And he's sad. This this is a story of two halves. And that's not like, I'm, I'm not breaking new ground by saying that. But I, I think that they did a bunch of really cool world building in the first half. Um, yeah. With the blight that's expanding and taking over different territories. And how different countries react to the blight encroaching on their territory. Uh, your your quest with Sid to break the mother crystals and you don't know what's going to happen. And then you start doing it and you realize you're making people's lives immediately worse. Even if the promise is that long-term this will be beneficial, but right now you're making people's lives worse. And uh, the blight itself is a an analog to global warming. And it's that same kind of thing, right? Where it's like you people... Uh, well, not to not to go too deep on that, but like the the short term sacrifice has to be there for the long term benefit. Um, but the people who are making the sacrifice or are the the little people like us and the people who need to be making the sacrifice are not doing it. Um, but they set up all of this stuff. They set up the stuff with the bearers curse, where bearers turn to stone in this horribly painful way after using magic for too long. They set up all of this really interesting stuff, and then they decide to expand the scope to typical JRPG territory, uh, where suddenly they, what they try to do is they try to set up this battle of free will, right? The bearers are like this, you have this theme of free will versus, uh, you know, the, the oppress, oppressive force, basically. Then they try to graduate it to this higher scope, where it's suddenly the free will of humans versus mm-hmm. these entities that are that created this world but the thing about that that doesn't work for me is we've done this so many times in so many other stories at this higher scope but the thing that final fantasy 16 had going for it was that like smaller scope story and world building and they abandoned all of it basically in order to bring in the story with ultima and uh, the many pronunciations of mythos and stuff like that. <laughs> so uh, this is another case of like, I liked the story set up and I liked where it was going. And then they abandoned the stuff that I like for stuff that I literally, I've played three games that do the same thing this year, you know? Mm-hmm. It, yeah. It, and I, I think like I come in with a very interesting perspective as a first time core Final Fantasy player mm-hmm. because I was very into as you said Dave like the world building of you know kingdoms fighting each other uh, with a layer of magic as like I guess you know the environment is part of many Final Fantasy games surprise mm-hmm. but then you add that layer of but then you kill God on mm-hmm. top of it at first I was like, why are we doing this? And then I, I truly really came around on it in the end, which is, <laughs> which is surprising because the most important part or the most, in my opinion, like the best part is the, the on the ground storytelling, but then you, you take it to the, but you have to kill God, sir. And although at first I was really hesitant, I came around on it, but it wouldn't have been the direction that I thought the game was going in just by looking at the cover and watching the trailer. To be fair, this is not a uniquely Final Fantasy 16 problem. There are many Final Fantasy games that do this exact same thing, and many other JRPGs that do this exact same thing. Um, you know, the the trope, 
or the the meme of killing God in JRPGs exists for a reason. This is this is not a uniquely FF sixteen thing, but this is a, a, a thing that I found personally disappointing. That like they abandoned all of that stuff in the process. They could have kept all of that and interwoven it in, but it, it just disappears. I have also played another game that does exactly this and falls into the same traps. And I haven't explored this connection, and maybe this should be an article or something, but Tales of Arise, um, mm. for anyone else who may or may not have played that, like even down to the protagonist, like the parallels and the relationship that the side quests have and the way it escalates and the way the game drags itself out to ultimately be too long, it loses its scope. But the other thing I wanted to throw out there is like, okay, I'm still lingering on this Game of Thrones comparison. The thing that I've listened to George R. R. Martin, author of Game of Thrones, talk about quite a bit is the idea that when it comes to world building in a fantasy setting, it's almost not about the set dressing elements like the dragons and the magic and the white walkers and all that kind of stuff. Um, that stuff is cool and that might sell you initially, but the thing that matters in those stories is the psychological back and forth of all the decisions that are being made on the chessboard politically. And, and the first half of this game does that. The second half completely leaves that all behind. Um, and only in the very final moments of the story do we return to any sort of discussion of like what the political reality of the future is going to look like. So, so I think that that's a fatal misstep, that if that simple correction was made and they stayed on those rails of like character drama, then I think that the structural issues with some of the later game story-related stuff wouldn't be as glaring as it currently is. Yeah, that was, was kind of my question for the two of you who who played all the side quests because it did feel like oh we're losing all of the on the ground storytelling and all the all that world building it felt to me like we had left that behind and now we're fighting increasingly uh big gods and so on so that's not just because i was skipping the side quest that is just that's a universal feeling amongst everybody good to know also, um, I don't know. I wonder if they, because they were doing these, because of how grandiose they made everything, like the goal of the game clearly was to, one of the main goals was to have these giant, giant battles, right? It's part mm-hmm. of what makes this game it what it is. And I, I don't know if, did they feel like, like the only way to, to keep building on that was to make the ultimate enemy, you know, bigger and bigger and bigger until you're literally fighting God. Like, I I guess that's what it is. Like, how do you go forward? How do you make the end bigger than these icon battles before? Well, now you're fighting God. Although I have to say, I kind of liked Ultima. Ultima was kind of cool. I kind (laughs) of liked the way they talked. No? Anybody? Anybody else? (laughs) Great. (laughs) Jacob's with me. I don't know. Something about it. Something about it was kind of cool. I liked Ultima. I I just think, yeah, I just think if it, I don't know. I I play a lot of games in the Final Fantasy series, in the JRPG genre, and there are so many villains just like Ultima. Mm -hmm. Um, The Xenoblade Chronicles series is full of characters like Ultima, but the Xenoblade Chronicles games maintain their world building and their character drama the entire time through those games. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Ultima is representative to me like once we figured out what Ultima is, it's representative to me of the thing I don't like about the story. Therefore, 
I don't really care for Ultima as a character. I don't care about their motivations, et cetera, et cetera. I wanted to go back to those Game of Thrones comparisons that that Flora brought up because um, did you all play or did you all watch or read the series? Yes. Yes. All Both, of you? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so yeah, I'm a, I w- I am a huge fan. I, I say was a huge fan. Like the last season was uh, bad, but let's not forget what came before it. Um, I, I find an interesting analog happening between two things that I really love. And it's yeah. the, the From Software games and the Game of Thrones series. Two things that have spun out huge inspiration into their respective media, right? But I think that people keep taking the wrong lessons from yes. these things about why we mm-hmm. like them. And not to get into a big From Software thing, but the the basic like, oh, people like difficult games. Oh, well, we're going to make a difficult game yeah. for you. Like that's so lost. And the thing that I liked about Game of Thrones is not the fact that there's sex scenes and people dying in gory ways and stuff like that. I liked listening to people talk in Game of Thrones. I liked those, <laughs> like every time Cersei sat down with someone, I was like, what are they going to say next? Yeah. And I, I like, you want to take inspiration from Game of Thrones or from From Software or any other like super inspirational piece of media, you have to think about what made it work in the first place, not just the big flashy things that like really jump off the page. And so the initial setup reminded me a lot of Game of Thrones. But then after that, it the comparisons don't really work because all the things that were great about Game of Thrones are not in Final Fantasy 16, in my opinion. Yeah, it's it. I feel like it's often the small <clears throat> moments that make up the meat of that thing, whether it be a game or a show, that makes you want to come back to it. Hmm. Those things are the show. And then, yeah. and then sprinkled throughout are like big dragon and a big battle, but like you don't you don't care about those things. Yeah, dragons aren't special moments. They're not special unless you really care about the characters and mm-hmm. like their interactions with each other and the world. And then you go, oh my god, the dragons here. But like if you don't, if you aren't invested with the little things through the, that make up the story, then those things will fall flat. Then it's just, okay, flashy, you know, big stuff happening. We get that in a lot of things. It doesn't make it special. I feel like the game really flipped from, uh, you know, I don't want to say Game of Thrones, but a, a story about kingdoms and the people that live within them. It flipped after the Hugo Kupka uh, sort of icon fight, where then it really went to, oh, this actually isn't about the individual kingdoms that make up, uh, you know, this this game. It's truly about man and their collective free will mm. and killing God. Uh, and I've, I've never really experienced that in a game where you think it's about one thing and then there's a moment where it almost becomes a different game narratively, uh, sort of like Final Fantasy sixteen. Flora, I'm going to give you the floor and then we're going to wrap this part one up of uh, Final Fantasy sixteen. So I was just going to say that um, another FromSoft comparison, just to say the correct lesson they've taken is that um, at the end of Elden Ring, you know, you have to fight a god. I mean, at the end of this game, it seems only natural. Like that's the right design lesson to draw. That was all. (laughs) Uh, 
the discussion's been great. There's going to be more of it. Uh, come back in two weeks and you will hear our final thoughts on Final Fantasy 16. Uh, Dave, before we go, uh, tell folks where they can find you and your podcast just once again because uh, you said some smart things and people will probably want to hear more of you. So let us know where you can you can be found. Oh, well, thank you. I hope people agree with that. Um, yeah, so you can find me on the Tales from the Backlog podcast. Uh, it's you can find it wherever if you search for tales from the backlog you might find some scott the waz stuff because i unknowingly stole that from a little mini series he did but uh, you will also find my show uh, on all the podcast uh, apps and stuff like that you can find me on twitter and social media and stuff search tales from the backlog it's the same logo and everything everywhere Uh, again if you want a good place to start why not start with the last of us part two with flora or metal gear rising with jacob here great places to start i love how flora played the smart game and i played the dumb game which is just like the perfect (laughs) encapsulation of what we both bring to this podcast dave thank you for coming we'll see you in two weeks uh katie where can you be found on the internet uh i'm on twitter i am lesperak l-e-s-p-e-r-a-k uh yeah i'm i'm excited for part two because we didn't dive into the stuff that i like yeah like we got, we got <laughs> I have, story I have stuff characters. that i like on the way too yeah i, yeah. I was uh, yeah i feel like part two is gonna be great you're gonna have to download that now so look for yeah. that in two weeks flora where can you be found on the internet uh unfortunately still on twitter or x or whatever we're calling it these Bye. days at ludo narrative fm you can find my written work at epiloggaming.com and of course i'm in the discord for the left behind game club and you can find that at leftbehindgame.club slash discord. If you want to find us on the internet, the podcast uh, Left Behind Club on Twitter, we will not call it X. Uh, and uh, we don't really use Instagram anymore, so I won't talk about that. You can find me at Jacob McCord on everything, J-A-C-O-B-M-C-C-O-U-R-T. Come back in two weeks. We'll have part two for you. Uh, I guess we'll end the show by saying shout out Mike Ruffalo. And that, my friends, is one less game partially left behind. Video games are a unique medium. They can tell stories. Immerse us in strange, fantastic worlds. Blur the very boundaries of our reality. But at the end of the day, video games are fun. Whatever fun is to you. I'm Jeff Moonen. And I am Matt A.K. Stormageddon. And on Fun and Games, we talk about the history, trends, and community of video games. It's a celebration of all the games we play and all the fun we find within them. And there's so many more games out there. So we hope you'll share in that conversation with us. Fun and Games podcast with Matt and Jeff. Find us on certainpov.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And happy gaming. Do you feel like you're the only person in your circle who wants to go deep about video games regularly? We were like that too. Until now. Welcome to Crossplay Conversations, the brand new bi-weekly topical video game podcast from Luke Lewis, Joseph Hooper, and Jacob McCord. With many years of breaking it down separately on shows like the Left Behind Game Club, Player Player Podcast, and Lukewarm Games, the gang is finally coming together to publish their gaming group chat in audio form every other week. Expect roundtable reviews of the latest games, profiles of upcoming indies, and insightful conversations about essential topics in the video game industry. All with a mostly positive, insightful, and fun style. Crossplay Conversations debuts on August 1st with brand new episodes hitting every other Tuesday. Help us out by subscribing on your podcast platform of choice to get the first episodes delivered straight to your feed. And follow us on Twitter at CrossplayConvos for updates about the show. Cheers Cheers and happy happy gaming. gaming.